When travel writing is your profession, adjusting to a new normal of not traveling can be tough and even just downright weird. So we reached out to a good friend and prolific travel writer and editor Tim Luffel for how he's managing a new normal that has thrown travel into a tailspin. Well, we've been doing a lot of uh, virtual happy hours with old friends and colleagues, uh, trying to at least have um, some social interaction in our life. I think that's the, the main thing that's hard for people in this lockdown is you don't actually get to go out and talk to anyone anymore face to face. We can certainly relate to the recipes and quarantine cocktails we've discovered during the stay at home orders. And we've been doing that just to kind of make this time go by. And, and it's been going by. It has, it has. And a great way to drown our uh, sorrows uh, over this. So let's get started. This is World Footprints with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. Tim Luffel is an award-winning travel writer, editor, and published author. He publishes multiple blogs and online magazines, including Perceptive Travel, an online magazine for independent travelers. Tim splits his time between the continental United States and Mexico, and it is from Mexico where he joins us today. Tim, first, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. And where are you precisely? I'm in a city called Guanajuato. It's an old Spanish colonial city. It's actually a UNESCO World Heritage Site, kind of smack in the middle of the country, up in the mountains. We're at uh, 6,500 feet. A lot of uh, interesting old architecture. And for Mexican people, this is a very important city because it was where the first battle of the, the revolution against Spain was. And so how far from Mexico City? Because that's a lot of people's um, landmark. Right. We're about four hours north of there. If you're in your own car, it takes a little longer on a bus, of course. <laughs> but uh, it's close enough that sometimes I fly out of there for international flights just because there are more options. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you about Mexico's response to uh, COVID-19. My understanding is that they were a little bit slow to respond to uh, this virus. Is that true? Yeah, there have been a lot of parallels with how the United States has handled it, actually. Uh, the mayors and some of the governors were ahead of the curve and were pretty uh, on the case about it. But uh, the president was not and was basically still out hugging people and having rallies and things like that, uh, even while it was erupting badly in the United States and you knew it was just a matter of time here. So. Um, you know, there wasn't much leadership from the top, unfortunately. Uh, I think otherwise, we're probably in the same boat down here as far as there's not enough supplies, not enough ventilators, all that kind of thing you've been hearing about in the U.S. Um, that probably was preventable to some extent. But they have made up for lost time in a lot of cases. But uh, in Mexico City, it's especially bad just because it's a very dense urban area and um, you got people living in close proximity uh, but here, I feel like for at least a month, people have been taking it pretty seriously where I live. And there's actually been police riding around with a megaphone telling people to break up and go home. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you, do you, you don't have any stay-at-home orders in your, in your town? Well, yeah, we do. It's, and I think the bars and restaurants closed about a month ago. That's why I'm sort of using that as my landmark. But 
Yeah, the essential services are open, um, grocery stores and pharmacies and things like that. There's a little cheating going on. There's some stores that shouldn't be open that are, and people are still gathering more than they should be. Um, but I think for the most part, yeah, there's been a stay-at-home order except for you can go out and exercise and whatever, but just you're supposed to be six feet away from everybody, and that's not always happening. Tim, you kind of touched on it earlier that Mexico's having similar issues that we're seeing in the States, but what's happening specifically with PPE, the personal protective equipment, and testing in your area? Yeah, they've been ordering PPE equipment like crazy from wherever they can get it from, but of course, you know, there's a world uh, fight for this stuff, really. I don't know how else to put it, uh, but they're getting what they can, and uh, I mean, Mexico is one of those um, countries that has sort of a two-tier medical system. There's a universal health care, you know, for the basics, but then if you want more, you can pay for it. And so some of the private hospitals are in much better shape than the, the government ones are because they took the initiative to order supplies much further ahead. Uh, the testing is a whole different story. I don't, I don't believe the numbers at all in terms of how many cases there really are because it's too difficult for people to get a test the same way it was, you know, maybe a month or six weeks ago in the United States where they just plain weren't around and um, you had to have pretty bad symptoms before you would get tested. There's a lot of that going on here. So with respect to the testing in your area, how is that conducted? Would it be through public health authorities, hospitals, doctors? What What is it like in Mexico? Yeah, from what I understand, mainly at the hospitals, there's no mass testing going on that I know about. It's mostly if you have the symptoms, you go in and you get checked out. Uh, but otherwise, there's not enough of them to be doing large-scale testing, which is sad because I know a lot of people would gladly go get the test, you know, to be to get some peace of mind, but it's just not available. Shifting gears a bit, what sorts of creative things are you doing to cope with your new normal? Well, we've been doing a lot of uh, virtual happy hours with old friends and colleagues, uh, trying to at least have um, some social interaction in our life. I think that's the, the main thing that's hard for people in this lockdown is you don't actually get to go out and talk to anyone anymore face to face. So we're trying to uh, do more of that virtually. Um, and we're doing a lot of cooking at home, of course, uh, more of that than uh we ever did before. I'm sure a lot of people are saying that. And so trying to make some ethnic dishes every once in a while, at least uh, take our taste buds on a trip, but uh, trying to watch a bit of TV that will get me out into the world. I've been watching the Night on Earth documentary, and um, there's one that Walter Herzog did about volcanoes around the world. I've been trying to mix a little of that kind of thing in with uh, the usual dramas and comedies. <laughs> Just to keep those distractions going, yeah. yeah. And reading, of course. I've, um, I'm trying to, you know, do more reading than I did before and uh, use the time wisely, and that, that can always transport you to another place. We're speaking with award-winning travel writer, author, editor, and publisher, Tim Luffel. So, Tim, I want to ask you because, you know, we've seen so many examples of how communities have rallied together, how people are helping their neighbors and supporting frontliners, etc. What things have you seen in your com community? What 
acts of kindness and support have you witnessed? Well, a lot of, um, we don't have a loads of expats here. I'd say there's probably three or 400 maybe, but um, a lot of them were already involved in community organizations that help the less fortunate and they've really stepped up their efforts in terms of, um, you know, food collection and money donations and things like that. Um, it's just hard here to get a handle on things because there's such an underground economy and so many people that run taco stands or ice cream stands or, you know, work as a house cleaner or whatever, and they, they're just playing out of work right now. Um, but uh, I think people have been trying to support businesses too by, you know, ordering takeout food and things like that, whatever they can to try to help uh, help businesses get through it. But it's difficult. I mean, there's such a uh, diverse economy of solopreneurs, you know, and, and family businesses here that it's really difficult to do, but so much. When this pandemic passes, what's the first thing that you'll do or the first place that you'll go? Uh, I think like a lot of people probably uh, go out to a restaurant is high on the list and then, uh, um, you know, get a haircut, those kinds of things. Uh, my wife is ready to get a massage because she has some back issues anyway. So for her, it's partly for pleasure, but partly to keep everything in the right place. And I know she's uh, itching to do that again. Um, the travel feels like it's further out. Uh, I think first it will be nice just to, um, you know, be a normal person again and be able to go out and socialize and go uh, have a meal that someone else cooks and they clean the dishes. Tim, you run several blogs and online magazines. How has COVID-19 impacted your journalism work? And are you pivoting? And if so, how? Yeah, so I have um, different sites that cover different aspects, and they've not declined equally. (laughs) They're all down, that's for sure. But uh, perceptive travel is all kind of narrative uh, let's say armchair travel kind of stories anyway. So that one has not declined as much as one I run that's called Hotel Scoop, which is basically all about hotels and, you know, has reviews of property and nobody's researching hotels or making bookings right now. So that one's down about 75%. I think the other ones are down anywhere from 25 to 50%, which is still terrible, but um you know, it's not the end of the world. What's hurt more is a lot of the advertising has declined along with it because uh, even if my traffic were the same, revenue would have gone down just because a lot of the advertising has pulled out in the travel world for good reasons. I mean, if you run a cruise company or a hotel chain, why are you going to advertise right now? (laughs) It doesn't make much sense. And we had a lot of um, direct ad programs that got put on hold or got canceled um, because, you know, for the same reason, it's just we even had a few that we voluntarily paused because we just said to the client, you know, this doesn't make any sense right now. Uh, nobody can make a booking with you and actually act on it. So it doesn't make sense for us to keep your ads running. Let's take them down and we'll just um, give you that back later is the equal amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there has been a decline there, although we do have some coming in. So I'm feeling a little more fortunate than some. Uh, I also have some books out and people are reading more, I think, these days. So book sales are doing okay, even though one of them is um, purely a travel book. But 
another one I have is about living abroad. And I think a lot of people are still doing planning about that, especially if they're looking at their nest egg, <laughs> their IRA balance or whatever, their 401k. They're thinking, hmm, maybe I don't have as much to retire on as I thought I did. Um, and then uh, I didn't do a whole lot of freelancing. So I, I feel more fortunate than people that were full-time freelancers because there's just not much of a market out there for travel stories right now. So you pretty much have to pivot to writing about something else uh, if you're a freelancer. And and on that count, I've been pivoting the same way on most of my blogs, trying to do things that are sort of related to travel, but are not uh, directly travel stories, because I don't think it makes a lot of sense right now to do the service kind of articles, especially why are you going to do a uh, go here, see that, stay here kind of article? <laughs> because sure. uh, nobody can really act on it. And we could tell people till we're blue in the face, oh, use this for planning, you know, dream and travel later. But honestly, people just can't get their head around that right now because they don't even know when it's possible to go traveling again. So on my Latin America site, I always did rum reviews and tequila reviews and <laughs> some other things that were kind of tangentially related some real estate stories. So I've been doing more of that, especially on the blog part of it and slowed down the amount that we're publishing on the magazine side. Uh, it's an online magazine, so we can just scale back and not put out as many new articles. And then um, on my Perceptive Travel online magazine, I actually have been running uh, a retrospective issue instead of um, commissioning new stories because uh, it just financially doesn't make sense for me to lay out, you know, 500 bucks each month if there's nobody um, traveling. <laughs> so I'm trying to just highlight some older stories because we've got 14 years worth of them. So I might as well get some eyeballs on some older stories. And so some things like that, doing more food and drink kind of pieces um, and, and living abroad kind of stories. Tim, on a personal level with a home in the States and a home in Mexico. How do you see COVID-19 impacting your ability to travel between your homes? Yeah, it's a, a timely question because I'm actually trying to uh, get a refund for a flight <laughs> that I have next month because I don't think, A, that I'm going to be able to go, and um, B, it's on Interjet, which um, is currently not flying internationally and is in financial trouble. So I'm um, kind of concerned. Normally, I would just say, whatever, I'll take the credit, which I did that on, a, on an American flight last month. But this one, I'm kind of worried that the airline is not even going to be around. So that is affecting me personally. My wife and I were both going to go up there at the end of May, um, back to Tampa Bay, which is where my home base is there. I don't have any rental property there or a house that I own, but my mother-in-law lives there. So um, we stay with her these days. And that's actually where my daughter is camped out at the moment. She's in university and she's doing all her classes online. So she's staying with my mother-in-law. Um, but yeah, I don't know if both of us are going to go back or one of us is going to go back, but eventually we have to return to the U.S. because my uh, daughter's moving out of her apartment and uh, we were supposed to go help her. That's the end of June. So I'm hoping by then we'll be able to move around. But Really, who knows at this point? We're speaking with award-winning travel writer, author, editor, and publisher, Tim Leffel. Now, on the professional front, particularly with media trips and those sorts of things where we've often crossed paths, how do you see COVID-19 impacting that realm as we look forward? 
Yeah, it's interesting. I don't think we know how um, travel period is going to play out once we can move around, but I do think there will probably be fewer group trips and people will be traveling more in, in very small groups or as a family or as a couple or solo. And I think press trips are by nature group trips most of the time. You know, you put 10 or 12 people in a van and drive them around. And I don't know if that's going to make a whole lot of sense here, in the, at least in the near term. So you might see more uh, travel journalists invited individually and maybe they stay longer and produce more content. And I kind of prefer to travel that way anyway, but a lot of times for the destination, it makes a lot more sense for them cost-wise to bring a whole bunch of people in as a group and shuttle them around. So I think there'll have to be some adjustments there. And and maybe for a year, those destinations are not going to have much of a budget to work with anyway. So I think we're going to see a lot more people covering uh, their own backyard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And until the time that we're able to to travel again, how are you keeping engaged? I mean, what are you doing to satisfy your wanderlust at this time? Uh, it's difficult. I got to say, we um, we all kind of have travel in our blood, you know, and otherwise we would be doing something else for a living and um, wouldn't have gone on so many trips. So, yeah, it's, it's difficult. Um, I'm trying to, yeah, keep uh, exposed to other places through the media and um, I uh, at least live in an interesting place that still kind of feels exotic. You know, it's not where I grew up. It's not, it doesn't look anything like uh, the United States. So even though I'm not that far, as far as a plane ride, you know, a couple hours away from Texas, but uh, it feels like a whole nother world. So that at least helps for me. I think if I were still kicking back in downtown Tampa, where I lived before, um, I'd be getting a lot more antsy. Uh, here we are surrounded by mountains, so that's kind of nice. I have been doing some hiking here and there because I can I can basically just go uphill 10 minutes and be in, in nature. So um, I can do that without encountering many people and easily staying six feet away from them. And so uh, that's one thing that has helped here. I, I can at least get outside and get around. I feel sorry for people that are in a in the middle of a huge city because it's much more difficult. Yeah, I, I'd say, I mean, here in D.C., <laughs> I yeah. have concrete to look at uh, out my window. Um, so you touched on this uh, just a, a second ago about the future of travel, certainly for travel journalists, but for the, the regular public, for, you know, regular travelers. What you have any thoughts on what travel is going to look like for the average traveler post-coronavirus? Well, I think if you take away the outliers in the mix, most people are probably not going to completely feel safe until there's widespread testing and maybe even some kind of vaccine or cure. But I think without the testing, which they have implemented in a lot of other countries like China and Korea, you know, you can't go anywhere without getting your temperature taken and, you know, you're tested constantly. I think if we get to that point, then people will feel okay about traveling around um, but I think they're still going to be pretty leery about getting on a packed airplane or um, a packed bus. And there's going to be, you know, more car travel, I think, than anything at first or RV travel. Even <laughs> those kinds of things will probably feel safer to people. I don't think we'll have big festivals and concerts and sporting events for quite a while because um, it just seems too risky. Even the countries that are getting over it aren't aren't really 
talking about that yet. Sure. Given where we are right now with uh, the COVID-19 situation, what suggestions do you have to the individual to keep travel alive in their lives? Yeah, I think we all have access to um, a thousand times more media choices than we had in the old days when the three of us were youngsters. <laughs> so <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> it's easy to go traveling uh, from your living room these days, um, you know, through TV shows and podcasts and um, books and everything else. And you have them at your fingertips electronically, even without getting a delivery. So I think that's a pretty safe way to go out and see the world. Um, we've been drowning in content ever since the internet started. So I don't think anybody's hurting for choices and no matter how narrow um, they, their uh, area may be that they want to focus on, you know, you can, you can find videos and TV shows about pretty much any corner of the globe now. So I think while we wait, that's probably <laughs> the best way to, uh, to vicariously uh, live your travel life. Before we go, I want to ask you if you could sit next to anyone, past or present, on a long-haul flight, who would that be? Well, I think present, it would probably be Tim Ferriss, the author, because uh, I've read all his books and uh, listened to his podcast, and I think he's an intelligent guy, but even more importantly, he's interviewed a thousand intelligent people, so it would be a good conversation and be something interesting and um yeah, wow. From the past, I think I'd love to take a ride with Leonardo da Vinci. That would be um, an interesting conversation as well. Indeed. Thank you so much for joining us, Tim. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon. For more on Tim's extensive travel writing, go to timleffel.com. That's T-I-M-L-E-F-F-E-L.com. And look for our link on this show page at worldfootprints.com. You've been listening to the award-winning World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. World Footprints connects you to the world through powerful storytelling that uncovers the full narrative of our cultural and human experiences. Travel deeper by visiting our website, worldfootprints.com. And make sure you sign up for our newsletter and receive a special gift we have just for subscribers. I adore Tim Leffel. We've known him for a number of years, and there's there's something kind of Midwesterner about him that really resonates with me as a Midwest kid. Even though Tim grew up in Virginia. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, he has that, that really, you know, salt of the earth uh, personality, and I, I just adore that. You know, and I spoke to Tim. We are um, a few weeks away from this recording with him, and and he wanted to get home in May, uh, home being Florida, to help his daughter move, and he's still stuck in Mexico. Yeah, it just goes to show you that sometimes those best laid plans that we have really don't mean anything when we have something that's so much larger than our own individual lives and concerns right now, but Tim has done a lot of writing, and he's really written a number of things that helps expats live abroad. And so his website is filled with lots of information, and he's written several books on 
some wonderful topics, so we definitely recommend checking that out. For travel writers, he's most known for his organization of the TBEX conferences, which is for travel bloggers specifically. Uh, and he's done a lot uh, for not only expats, but travel writers around the world. And, um, and Tim may also be known for his uh, new cocktails that he's mixing up, too, just like you guys. I think you guys yeah. shared recipes. Well, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. Uh, again, it's, it's a way to stay connected with parts of the world that we can't go to right now through, uh, through uh, uh, the uh, experience of a libation here or there. Yeah, and using up all the minis we've collected on our <laughs> travels. <laughs> so as we make the most of this time, a time where we can't travel as we did just months ago, we should remember the words of another Tim. This one, travel writer Tim Cahill. A journey is best measured in friends rather than miles. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we're honored that you chose to spend this time with us and that you've allowed us to offer meaningful connections through the stories we share on World Footprints. This World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick is a production of World Footprints LLC, Silver Spring, Maryland. The multi-award-winning podcast is available on worldfootprints.com and on audio platforms worldwide, including iHeartRadio, Pandora, Alexa, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Public Radio Exchange, and many more. Connect with the world with a deeper understanding through powerful stories. Visit worldfootprints.com to enjoy more podcasts and compelling articles from international travel writers. And be sure to subscribe to the newsletter and receive a free gift. World Footprints is a trademark of World Footprints LLC, which retains all rights to the World Footprints portfolio, including worldfootprints.com and this podcast. The views and opinions expressed on the podcast and website are those of the guests and authors and are not necessarily endorsed by World Footprints LLC.